Aloha. Welcome to the New Hope Oahu podcast. This is our sermons show where we upload our sermons from this previous week. And so this week is Pastor John Burgess, our campus pastor here at New Hope Oahu, San Island, as he was wrapping up our holiday series called Make Room. This sermon is about making room for tradition. There are several practical ideas that you can enact in your life right now that will help you to not only have a great 2020, but also beyond. You can listen to the sermon by itself by going to youtube.com slash newhopeoahu, or in order to keep up with news and things like that, you can follow us on Instagram at newhopeoahu and on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash newhopehawaii. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can by going to enewhope.org slash give. So now let's listen to this message by Pastor John Burgess called Make Room for Tradition. Take however much of them we can get before they go back to school. We're so glad they're here. So glad each of you are here, those joining us online from all over the place. I love this tradition of coming together on a Sunday morning like this. I know you're thinking, John, we do this every weekend. Exactly! This is one of those life-giving traditions that gets us out of bed that we find when we miss it, we're missing something. And that, as we close our, out our series on making room, just like that song was saying, we're going to make room for traditions, which on the offset might seem kind of like a weird thing to make room for. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic um, circles, and a lot of times the word tradition was it was like a, considered a bad word. You know, mainline denominations and their traditions meant that uh, they weren't following the Holy Spirit like we were. And yet, the longer that I'm alive and the more I follow Christ, the more I understand, yes, there are traditions that can get in the way of our relationships but there are some traditions that can actually guide us and keep us in step with what it is that God's doing both vertically and horizontally with the relationships in our lives. And I want to spend some time talking about those. Some traditions are really good. Like, for instance, even if you don't have a lot of family traditions, most of us have family traditions during Christmas time. And Sydney and I have loved being able to pass down the traditions that were given to us from our parents, pass it down to our five boys. And so our Christmas morning... Looks like this. The boys get up at an ungodly hour, but we decide to seek God first. We stay in our pajamas. We make the cinnamon rolls. We make the hot cocoa. We take turns reading the Jesus story out of both Luke and out of Matthew. And then and only then do we tear in the present. So it's amazing when the boys get up how passionate they are about the word of God. They're like, Dad, let's immediately start reading the word because they know presents don't come until after, right? So if you want your kids to be excited about the word of God, just put that before the presents. It'll be a miracle, a Christmas miracle. And so after they tear into the presents, this is actually my, my one of my favorite parts of Christmas morning tradition, is then we have the stockings. And the stockings are filled with food. That's right. Tons and tons of food. We've been upgrading to now Trader Joe's these days. But yes, that is in the front. That is a can of cheese Whiz. This is the part of tradition Cindy's not that thrilled about. But I tell her, hey, hon, once a year, what's the problem with a little canned cheddar, right? And so the boys just love being able to down that cheddar. And I love this because usually after you open the main presents, they're all kind of like bummed out, like, oh, it's over too fast. And I'm like, but wait, there's more. And then they get to just down. We just sit there all day long in our PJs, eating snacks, watching Christmas movies and putting Legos together. And it's so much fun. And, and traditions, apart from just your Christmas traditions, are actually a part of our spiritual growth 
in Christ. You can see this at the top of your notes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. You can read it on your app or up here on the screen. When Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says this, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the what? Well, that's interesting. It's not a bad thing. It's not even something that we should ignore. He said in order to obtain the glory of Christ, in order to stand firm in our faith, we must hold to the traditions that have been handed down to us, that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So if your faith is flagging right now, it could be what you need is actually to make room for some God-given traditions that will put your faith back on track. Let me put it this way. If your traditions have replaced relationship, trash them. If your traditions are reinforcing relationship, treasure them. Look at the Pharisees. They were so stuck on their religious traditions, they completely missed having a relationship with Jesus. If you and I aren't careful, we can start out with a tradition that would draw us closer to God, and over time it actually replaces our relationship with God. If you've got those traditions, trash them. Don't bring them into 2020. But if you're looking for traditions that will help you engage with God, help you strengthen your relationship with each other, I want to share a couple of those with you. Here's how you know if you need to replace a tradition. Is it getting in the way of actually being with each other? I mean, many of you guys have been praying with us for our oldest son, Elijah, who was on the mission field for six months. You were praying with us as we were praying he could get safely out of the country of India in the middle of all those riots. You were praying with us through all the situations with canceled tickets and is he ever going to be able to get out of Australia. Now, how ridiculous would it be if after all of that he finally was coming home and we let him know on the phone, hey, Elijah, we're not going to be able to see you at the airport because we've got our traditions. We're drinking our hot cocoa, eating our cinnamon rolls, and opening our presents. Hope you can catch an Uber. We'll see you later. Right? <laughs> Of course we wouldn't do that. Traditions are supposed to undergird relationships, not replace them. So our our boys were all happy to, even though that's our tradition, to put all of those on hold for this moment right here. This is it, guys. This is it. Elijah's plane has touched down after six months of being away. And we are waiting here. Very, very excited. So, very excited. Yeah. Look how excited they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super excited. So, um, for those of you who have been praying with us, I don't really like to throw that um, the word miracle around too much, but you know, a whole bunch of many miracles that added up to Elijah being here. some friends coming to welcome Elijah home. So you guys, we've got a lot of people watching, very excited.
gets me every time. <laughs> and here's Elijah right here back. Thanks to your prayers. He is back. Thanks to each and every one of you for, for praying us through that. And you know, here, here's the thing. We've had a lot of our, um, our military families actually encourage us and say, hey, even if he doesn't get back here on Christmas, it's not the date or the day. It's the person that matters. So you can have Christmas any day that you want. And I love that that's really the idea of understanding that traditions are to serve our relationships, not replace them. If you're first responders, you're police, fire department, even in the service industry, you know exactly what we're talking about. Sometimes you have to delay birthdays, holidays, and all of that stuff. But the point is that you're together. That's the point, is that it's, it's helping those relationships be strengthened. I, 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 under, I want us to understand how important these Christian traditions are. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Spiritual formation in a Christian tradition answers a specific human question. What kind of person am I going to be? Such an important question to ask. What kind of person am I going to be in 2020? Am I going to be the same person this time next year? I don't want to be. It's the process of establishing the character of Christ in the person. That's all it is. Now, did you guys catch that key word there? Process. See, we live in an instantaneous culture. We want change. We want it now. And the reason why traditions often fail us is because we want instant change, and yet traditions are a holy habit over time. And so if you guys are willing and longing to become more like Christ in 2020, enter the traditions that will be life-giving to you by, first of all, placing Christ first. Because what's first determines what's next. In fact, you can fill that in your blank. On your notes, what's first determines what's next. If Christ is first, he's going to determine what happens next in our life. You put any, any other affection, any other pursuit, any other relationship, goal, or dream, no matter how wonderful, you put anything else in first place, anything else behind the driver's seat, guess what? That's going to determine what happens next in your life. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6. 31 to 34, so don't worry, saying what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after these things, I mean, we're all going to run after something in 2020, he's saying don't run after these things, run after me, your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, all what things, what shall I eat, what shall I drink? What shall I wear? Who shall I marry? Where shall I live? Where will I go to school? Where am I going to work? All of those things, those worries that normally drive us. He's saying, no, no, no. You put those things secondary. You put me first. I'll add in all those other things. He even says it in this closing verse here. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think specifically at this time of year, if we're not careful, we actually enter the new year with worry in the driver's seat. And that's going to swerve all over the road and you're never going to get to your divine destination. You put Jesus in the driver's seat, he's going to take you exactly where you're supposed to go. He's going to give you everything you need. And one of the most worry-inducing traditions that we have in our culture is called New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, but they really stress me out. Okay, we make them with good intentions because we want next year to be better than last year. That totally makes sense. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to change these things about my life. Well, that sounds really good, except that all depends on you changing these things. 
and statistics show that doesn't really work. Worry doesn't work. 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. 25% of that 45% carry it out through the first month of January. Only 8% of that 25% can actually complete their New Year's resolutions by the end of the year. If you're a part of that 8%, can I buy you coffee? I'd love to learn how you did it. Now, for the rest of us, though, let's put the tradition of New Year's resolutions on the side, and instead, let's make goals achievable, measurable, actionable, simple, reproducible goals that will bring about the desired change in our life. And I know you're probably going, well, John, that sounds all fine and good, but how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Pastor Wayne talks about finding your 5% in his book, The Divine Mentor. And it's such an incredible principle. I want to kind of unpack it for you with this visual aid, if you don't mind. I'm kind of a picture guy, so I need a little bit of help to remember these important things. It talks about finding your big rocks, the things that are the most important in your life. In fact, I put a place in your notes for you to write out the big rocks in your own life. And of course, the biggest rock for every Christian should be the God rock, right? And then you have your relationships rock. So this, if you have a spouse, obviously they would be a part of this or a girlfriend, a boyfriend, fiance, children right here. This rock right here would represent friends or family or relationships that you are building in the community around you. This one would represent your health rock, right? If you don't have your health, you're not going to be able to maintain any of the rest of these relationships. That's a pretty important rock to have as a priority in your life. And this one right here represents kind of your vision, goals, and values that you would apply usually to your family and your work life. Now, all of us would say, yes, those things are very important. And yet, what I find is that a lot of times these are the very things, the most important things, that we end up running out of room or time to even address or have a part of our life. Let me give you an example. Let's say this is your life. All of us have the same capacity. You have 24 hours in a day, unless you figured out how to add on another one. We have seven days in a week. In other words, there's a lid on what we can do with the time that we've been given. Let's say this is the Christian that has not put Christ in first place. This is the Christian who has. Now, this person loves the Lord. They're looking at a brand new year of possibilities. It's empty. The, the, the possibilities are truly endless. And here's what happens immediately when that clock turns from 12 to 12.01 and you find yourself in the brand new year. This is what Pastor Wayne describes as the 80% that everybody can do. Nature abhors a vacuum and immediately begins to fill up your time and your schedule with what all of us end up with. Sitting forever on the H1. (laughs) Catching up with emails that you have kind of ignored because you've been trying to have family time. All that paperwork that's waiting on your desk. Picking up your kids for all of their endless sports and taking them to school and picking them up from school and and standing in that eternal line in Costco. Anyways, you guys are getting the point. Checking your Facebook status, whatever it is, 80% of what we do, everybody can do. The year's just started and we've already almost run out of time. Same amount of time. 
All of us get stuck in this scenario, and it doesn't stop there because you haven't even gotten to work yet. 15% of what we do is something that someone with some training could accomplish. That's your job. Usually it's what you get your paycheck for. It's how you're able to provide for your family, how you're able to pay the rent and pay the bills. Someone with a little bit of training could come up here and do exactly what I'm doing, replace me immediately. That's the 15% of what we do. You guys are noticing the problem right away. Uh, I don't have any room for what I said was most important. My big rocks here. Let's see. Uh, Sit-ups can wait until next year. Um, my wife wants me to take her out on a date. Anniversary. I'll, I'll wait till anniversary. Um, let's see. My boss said I need to come up with some goals for my team for 2020. Okay. And my kids sprained or broke another bone. I have to take them to the doctors. True story, by the way. And you're immediately noticing something wrong, aren't you? There's no room. Because even if I could somehow figure out how to get that in there, who's missing the most from this scenario of life? You're a Christian, brand new year, lots of possibilities, but the God rock isn't anywhere near any of these things. Now again, you and I have the greatest intentions. We want next year to be better than the last. How do we make it better? What's first determines what's next. So if you don't want to run out of room for the most important person in your life, try this. God first. In every area of your life. Let Him be the foundation for every relationship. You cannot delegate. That's how you know it's your 5%. You can't delegate that to anyone else. I wish I could. I wish that I could have you spend time in the Bible and the Word and I would instantly have that close relationship with God. I wish that you could worship the Lord and I could do whatever I wanted, but I would immediately recognize His voice. But you can't delegate your relationship to God anyone else. There's, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. You can't get into heaven on someone else's coattails. You can't get into heaven someone else's faith. You have to seek the Lord for yourself. What about my spouse? I can't delegate my relationship with my wife to anyone else. I can't, I, no one else is responsible to make sure she's being released in her God-given calling. No one else can make sure that she is being provided for and cared for and loved. No one else can take her out on a date. No one else better take her out on a date. <laughs> right? You don't want to be delegating that stuff, guys. You really don't. It better be you taking her out on a date. What about my kids, my boys? Yeah, we have amazing youth pastors here. They have great teachers at school. But I can't delegate the responsibility for their character and their growth in Christ to anyone else. That's a part of my 5%. That's something God is going to hold me responsible for. Did you show them how to have godly character in a compromising culture? That's on me. What about my health? I really wish I could figure this one out. I wish you could do the crunches and the planks and I get the washboard abs, but it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. I've been, I've been eating so much cheese over the holidays. I got like a cheese baby. And I wish that, I wish your workout, those of you that like to exercise, I wish you could exercise and get rid of my cheese baby, but it doesn't work that way. 
I can't delegate my exercise or my health or what I'm eating to anyone else. That's a part of my 5%. And then this one, this is my calling. This is a point of my obedience to the Lord. And here's the thing. You can't actually tell if I'm obeying the Lord most of the time. None of you have any idea if I'm tithing my 10% to the Lord out of obedience. Or if when he nudges me, I'm giving an offering above and beyond that 10%. You wouldn't know by looking at me, but he does. I can't delegate my obedience out to you. You see, we all want the benefits and the blessings of obedience, but we don't want the work that it requires. I can't tell you to obey God, and then I get the benefits of that obedience. I'm the only one that knows when I stand before the Lord if I've truly obeyed what he's called me to do. You see, you're going to have a lot of people telling you what you should do, trying to define your calling. Now, God will use people to refine your calling, but he's the only one that can define your calling. And the more you step into your unique design, doing what it is that God specifically and uniquely wired you to do, the more you're going to find your 5% is fulfilled. Now listen, that doesn't mean we get to quit our job and go be monks on a mountain somewhere. No, God has meant this to work in real life. And so now I'm going back to work. But now I'm, I'm going to work not by myself. I'm going to work with my Savior who is with me all every step of the way. And whether my boss is happy with me, whether my project turned out exactly the way I wanted, whether I have all the unity that I'm wanting on my team or not, this no longer defines me. God can use it to refine me, but God is the one that defines me because, look, he's a part of it all. He's the foundation of everything that I'm doing. And then, guess what? Life is still life. You and I are still going to have to sit on the H1 for an eternity. But now it no longer has to define our mood or whether or not we think we had a good day or a bad day. Whether or not things went well at the office or not, that no longer defines whether my day is good or not because I'm not dependent upon the 80%. I've got God. He's undergirding me. He's sitting in traffic with me. He's helping me to figure things out with my wife or my team at work. And this is incredible because now, no matter what life does to shake you around, nothing is going to shake the rock on which my life is built. And there's room for God to do what he wants to do. So how do we get from here to here? How do we get to that 5%? Our big rocks are in place, no matter what else life throws at us. Well, we just read it in our, our, our scripture in Revelations chapter 2. Verse 4, it's up here on the screen. It says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at what? Okay, there's that priority. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at... Okay, there it is again. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, that doesn't sound good. If you're in the dark, you need the light. If you lost your flame, return to your first love. The things that you used to do when you first came to know Christ... Listen, we're headed into a year that is completely dark to us, but it's already illumined by him. I want to go into this next year with somebody who's already been there. And the only one that is, is the one who says, I just want to spend time with you. Can we, can we just spend some time together again? Before you trying to work and make things better, just work at being with me. 
fall in love with Jesus again and watch the depth of your faith increase. And that's why the second part of this tradition that I like to go through every part of this year involves this truth. If you want to go farther with Christ, you need to go deeper in Christ. You can feel that in your second blank. To go farther for the Lord, I must go deeper with the Lord. We understand that concept in nature. If a tree is extending its branches out, but its root system is not going deeper into the ground, what happens with that first storm? Toppled, right? Because the weight of its branches could not handle the lack of depth in its roots. I've seen that happen this year. Brothers and sisters of the faith who really desired to go farther for the Lord, but failed to go deeper in the Lord. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. I want to go deeper in the Lord. How do we do that? Jesus gives us an idea here in Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Again, he wants to go farther for the Lord. That's awesome. All of us do. Then, then he says this. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus saw something in this would-be disciple's heart that said, I want to guarantee that I'm going to be comfortable. I want to guarantee you're going to take care of me and I'm going to get a good paycheck out of this. And Jesus saw that and addressed it in his heart. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Why is he being cranky? Why is he being so rude about that? This guy just wants to go to a funeral. No, again, Jesus is looking at his heart. He's saying this. I don't want you to put God on your to-do list. I want you to put your to-do list in God. You see, that's, that's the difference between these two. One, God is just something we do along with all the other things that we have responsibilities and obligations for. Or the other is God is literally involved in absolutely everything that I'm doing. I'm putting him first. In him I live and I move and I have my being, as it says in the book of Acts. Jesus wasn't saying, I don't want you to be my disciple, but he was giving us a clue. If you want to go farther, you've got to first go deeper by allowing him to set your priorities and your schedule. So how do we do that? Well, again, I need a memory reminders, and I need to understand that there's something that re- is required here that most of us don't really like. It's called spiritual disciplines. Daily repetitions. A tradition of discipline that pushes me to seeking God regardless of what else is going on in my schedule. Here, let me show you what I'm talking about. First Peter 2.21. It's not in your notes, but it's up here on the screen. It says, to this you were called. There it is, part of our 5% our calling, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. His life is how we're called to live. And the Greek word there for example is kaleo. Now, it means that it's a pattern to be copied. It's kind of like, uh, how many of you guys had to learn cursive handwriting in grade school? Anybody else? Yeah, I don't even think, they even teach that to you guys anymore? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. You guys did? 
So do you guys remember how it would work where you'd have to do like the, the uppercase G with its loops and then you do the lowercase G with its loops and they would have it out, written out for you and then they would have dotted lines so you could kind of trace over how you're supposed to do that and you would do that over and over and over again until finally you get to the blank line which because of repetition you're now able to do it on your own, Right? This is what he's saying here. It, Christ has provided for us a pattern for living that requires daily repetition where we are tracing our life over his over and over again on the daily so that by the time there's a blank line, we're not at church, we're surrounded by people who don't believe our life follows the same lines as Christ. Now here's the truth. I just level with you. I know a lot of Christians who say they follow Christ and their lines don't look anything like his life. I want my lifelines to match up with Christ. And that means daily repetition, doing what he did, whether I feel like it or not. That's where the discipline comes in. Handwriting required homework I know you guys probably aren't going to be thrilled about this, but if you really want to go deeper, it's going to require some spiritual homework. And I just want to share with you a few of the things that I do to keep my life following in step with Christ using an acronym, DEEPER. Okay, I know it says DEPER, but just go with it. Okay. Hopefully it'll be enough for you to remember these basic homework ways to go deeper in Christ. Devotions, exercise, prayer and planning, and reading and recreation. Now, the new year is a great time to go fresh into your devotions. Uh, in fact, if you're looking for a way to start, in the seat pocket in front of you, you will have, our starting January 1st, our first quarter of reading devotions. If you read through this every single day, you'll have read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. If they're all gone from the previous services, then please get one of these at one of our connections kiosks as you exit. It really is an incredible thing to have some structure, to have a tradition to follow. When I didn't have these, I would always kind of read my favorite passages in Scripture, and I'd miss out on all kinds of things God was trying to show me in the other books. It's good to have some structure. And Pastor Wayne, along with this, came up with the soap journal. And if you don't have one of those, you pick one up in our uh, bookstore. Or all of this is actually online on our app. If you prefer the digital version, you can get all of this for free on the online app. But the important thing is that you and I are spending time at the feet of Jesus on a daily basis. And can I just let you guys know this right off the bat? You're going to start out strong. You're going to be like, yes! 5%, putting God first, I'm in. And then your kids are going to get sick. Or your boss is going to ask you to stay late for work. Or, again, you're stuck on the H1. And the time you had set aside to do this, you don't have it. And maybe you end up skipping one day, or maybe even two. And then you're going to be tempted. I'm just telling you exactly what's going to happen. Just remember I'm saying this. You're going to be tempted to say, well, I tried it. Better luck next year. Don't do that. Would you do that if, like, let's say you got busy at work and you skipped lunch? Would you just be like, well, I missed lunch. I'll start eating next year. No, none of us would do that. In fact, if you're like me, you're like, i got to make up for lost time. i got to eat twice as much at dinner. 
right? What if we had that same attitude towards God's word that is literally called the bread of life? This is the meat upon which our faith is able to be strengthened. So when you skip a day or two, just pick right back up and start again. Don't let anything keep you from going deeper with the Lord, learning to hear God's voice through devotion. Secondly, exercise. Again, uh, I wish that I could get the benefits of your exercise, but no one's going to get me off my butt except for me. And maybe you're going, John, what does that have to do with going deeper with the Lord? Actually, a lot. Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. This is not John's property. This is God's property. How am I taking care of it? How I'm eating? How I'm exercising? Listen, there is so much that God wants to do in and through us in 2020. And I don't want my body to be the reason I can't keep up with his divine purposes. Because I've run out of energy. I've run out of stamina. I, I, and all of that ties back to the small decisions I make on a daily basis. So again, if exercise is in your bag, hey, start small, but start. Maybe instead of parking close to the office, you park in the farthest stall away, so you're forced to walk. Maybe instead of sitting down for your lunch hour, you walk that lunch hour and you go up and down the stairs. Little things like that can actually make a really big difference. Right? Instead of going back for seconds, you're just good with one plate. Just start small. I'm just getting real here. Getting real. But just start. That's the important thing. So the temple of the Holy Spirit is ready to do everything God's called you to. What about prayer and planning? This is that time of year where we all start planning for our next year. What's your plans right now? Are you planning on retiring? Are you planning on getting a raise? Planning on buying your first home? Planning on proposing to your fiance, we're planning on getting your kids to college. Whatever those plans are, involve God in them through prayer. He says, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. How is he going to direct our steps if we're never even talking to him about our plans? Something amazing happens when you and I put God at the foundation. He actually ends up making our plans even better than we could. How? Because he actually knows how it turns out. You and I have no idea what's going to happen next. And he's already been there. So if you're planning for a successful future, you might as well plan with the one who's seen the future already. Pray about it. All of it. Invite him into every bit of it. And you're going to find your life becomes all wrapped up in his divine purposes. And finally, reading and recreation. Maybe you're going, John, that doesn't sound very spiritual. How am I going to go deeper by recreation? It's called Sabbath. It's actually one of the big ten, not suggestions, commands. He says, keep the Sabbath holy. And, it, and as soon as, every time I talk about Sabbath, I, 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 look, I see the looks on your faces. You're like, John, you have no idea. I don't have a full day. I work like three jobs just to make ends meet. And I get that. So does God. Again, traditions are to serve a relationship with the Lord. So when God's calling you to Sabbath, there's no drive-by guiltings here. If you haven't taken time to be with God, start small, but start. If you don't have a full day right now, give him a quarter of your day. Then maybe you could take a day from a uh, quarter from Thursday. Maybe you can get a half a day from Saturday. Maybe at the end of your week, you've got a full day added up. That's a great place to start. And then try and grow over the course of the next year into having a full day at least once a month with God. Can we do that? Yes, because the whole point of the Sabbath is God is saying, I want to spend time with you. I want to refresh and renew you. I want you to actually enjoy what I've made around you. 
Like people that don't live in Hawaii, they're like, oh, you get to spend every day on the beach. That's awesome. I'm like, have you seen how pasty I am? (laughs) I've talked to some of you. You can't even remember the last time you went to the beach. And we live on an island surrounded by beaches. Here's the point is let's get out and actually let God refresh and renew us. Maybe, Maybe this is the part where you need to start. Some of you are already exhausted and we haven't even started the new year. You're like looking at this list like, oh my God, I can't do it. Okay, if that's how you're feeling, start with rest. Start with recreation. Let God recreate his design in you. That's recreation. Enjoy it with your family. Enjoy it with the Lord. I'm telling you, he's going to give you fresh perspective on all the rest of this. And I want to end this time here with this great video of our amazing hospitality volunteers. I wanted to end with this celebration of our our volunteers because if I began with it, you and I would misunderstand that we're actually not going to know how we're supposed to serve unless we're serving the Lord first. And these amazing saints who make it feel like home for thousands of people here every single week, they know where they're supposed to serve because they got their 5%. Put Christ first and out of that they found their divine design. Take a look at this. Hospitality ministry serves goodies to the congregation every weekend. God has brought together a special family here. I've been serving the uh, New Hope Hospitality Ministry since uh, the year 1999. I've been serving in hospitality for about two years now, and it's been the best two years of my life. These are the most wonderful people I could ever ask to work with, and they become such close friends. They're all like sisters and brothers to me. You know, when you think about, you know, coming to church and getting to know all the people here and, and we and just enjoy each other's company. I always think about in John 13 when it says uh, before he went to the cross he put a towel on his waist and uh, went around to all the disciples and washed their feet. You know, we're supposed to be serving one another and loving on one another. But you know, everybody plays a part and it's, it's special how God puts people together. I want to thank the over 1,000 volunteers that have made this happen week in and week out. We would not be where we're at as a church if it wasn't for every single one of you making serving a part of your 5%. As we end out our time here, I want to end it with a brand new tradition we just started last year at this time. It's called Letters to the Savior. As you walked in, hopefully you received a a blank envelope with a blank piece of paper inside. If not, please raise your hand because we're just going to take a couple minutes at the close of our service here to have a little bit of time putting Jesus first. The end of one year, the beginning of not just a new year, but a new decade. We're going to write a letter to the Savior. And if you've never done this before, don't worry. We've got some questions that can help you. Just kind of get your heart started in connecting with the Lord. If we could put those questions up. It's uh, as if Jesus is talking to each one of us and asking us a question. I know everything you're going through, but I'd like to hear it from your perspective. Go ahead. I'm listening. Maybe you'll just take the next couple minutes and write out where you really need Jesus to be involved in your life. What about this one? 
What is the one thing you want me to do for you in the new year? Please be specific. Maybe you already have that. That would be the one that I would ask you to choose to write your letter to Jesus. This third one says, do you remember the last thing I said to you? Why do you think that was important? This is so good, you guys. A lot of us are looking for the next thing and the new thing. and We haven't done the last thing and made it the first thing that we do. You want God to reveal what happens next? Do what he's already asked you to do this year, and then you'll understand what he wants you to do next year. This final one says, I will use someone to answer your prayer. You'll be an answer to someone else's prayer. Are you aware of who I've put on your path to assist? There's not enough time to do all of these, though I would encourage you to do these in a separate time with you and the Lord. But just pick one of these right now, and over the next couple of minutes, just let this be a holy moment. You're not thinking about the person next to you. You're just writing a letter to the Savior. Because you know what? The U.S. Postal Service, they do the best they can. But sometimes when we put our letter in the mail, we're not really sure it's going to get to our destination. You can be absolutely assured of this, that any time you lift up a prayer to the Lord, He hears it. Son and daughter, what you're about to write to Him, He hears it. 